The Reset Podcast is a show about fresh starts. In business, career, relationships, health, and life in general, sometimes we all go forward to a new square one. Every moment is a new opportunity to begin again, and my guests will tell you how, when, and why they decided to reset their lives. I'm Franklin Taggart. Welcome to The Reset Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to The Reset Podcast. I'm Franklin Taggart. My guest today is a good friend, Dr. Joni Connell, and uh, Joni is a, a psychologist and consultant and author, and most recently, she is a podcaster, and um, she has just uh, recently started a new podcast called Reinventing Nerds, and it's one that I'm actually personally very excited about because I identify as one of those folks. Hi, Joni. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Franklin. I'm so glad to be here. Well, this is an awesome opportunity for us to talk about uh, things that are near and dear to our hearts. But before we go down the nerd path, we need to kind of cover a little bit about where you come from. Um, you are a highly educated person. And uh, tell, tell people a little bit about your educational history first. Well, okay. Uh, I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I went to high school at Cambridge Rungeon Latin School. Hmm. And I had to walk through Harvard Yard every day on the way to get to school. And I decided it was just one of the most beautiful places I'd ever seen. And I said, I need to go to college here. So I made that happen. And I think that's partly what you're talking about, this educated, uh, very highly educated there at Harvard. Uh, I studied engineering, mm -hmm. and I did that because I was good at math and science and, and computers and stuff like that, even back in those days, our computers were just sort of really new in school, but also because I needed to get a four-year professional degree, as I saw it, to be able to uh, afford living without any help from any parents or anything like that. My parents were crystal clear about where that they were going to be done with me after that last tuition check was over. Mm -hmm. So I studied engineering, which was like the hardest major, <laughs> one of the hardest colleges. I don't know what I was trying to prove. My dad kept asking me, what are you trying to prove? <laughs> <laughs> Got through it. And then I moved out to Silicon Valley and I was an electrical engineer. And it was, you know, I had gotten what I wanted. I was well paid and I had a nice lifestyle and uh, good jobs, great companies, but I just really wasn't passionate about it. And uh, I found that everyone else was staying late to debug their code or their, their you know, their hardware. And I want to get out and do other stuff and live my life. Um, and I was also just so much more fascinated by the people interactions because engineers uh, aren't trained to have those people interactions. You know, we're trained to uh, design and debug circuits. And uh, so it was one of those things where I saw this in meetings, you know, people would go into a meeting and reluctantly, it was a monthly staff meeting, not weekly, oh, yeah. not daily, it was <laughs> monthly. And we'd all be sitting in the room and it, you could just feel the tension and the manager would say, okay, you know, we're gonna go around the room and." get a check in and what everyone's doing. And it would be like a one minute. Oh, this is blah, blah, blah. Okay. Next person. Blah, blah, blah. And then it was like when 
we were released. It was like school's out. <laughs> First open the doors, run out to our offices, never to have to talk again. And I said, you know, I'm just so much more interested in the people interactions. And so this is tying back to the education. I said, I really wanted to get out of engineering. And I took a couple different jobs after that, trying to get more people oriented. But I found that people kept wanting me to be an engineer. Mm -hmm. you know, once you, oh, you're done. Okay, well, we can do this, you know, and applications engineering, you know, it's people oriented, but you're really focusing on the technology and consulting, very focused on it. And so I said, well, I really need to go to school to yeah. uh, re-educate, you know, to be able to make change. And I decided to study psychology. I thought about business, but I realized I'm really just interested in the people and I want to get at the heart of it. And I studied social psychology. And uh, inside of that program, it was um, organizational solid, uh, psychology, uh, industrial organizational psychology, would say, as a specialty within that. And I studied at Berkeley. Uh, it was right there. I was in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area anyway. And, you know, I had high aspirations. I got the PhD mm -hmm. because I knew at the time I wanted to be a consultant. And I, I wanted to, at the time, what I thought was called like communications consulting. I want to help people be better communicators. And I talked to a lot of people who were already doing this kind of work. And they were, you know, asking, like, what do you need to do it? And a lot of people said, you know, if you're going to be a consultant, the PhD is a good idea. And if you're going to go in-house and work for a company, you're probably a master's would, would be fine. But as a consultant, people like how it looks on paper. And so that's what I did. I went and got my PhD. And I was really, really glad I did. It was very thorough. Uh, analysis of <laughs> psychology and how people interact and uh, great education and uh, that's pretty much when I stopped at the uh, when I got my doctorate I was like yeah I mean I guess continuously you know fun stuff but no more schooling for me always something more to learn though right yeah yeah well um, so you you did a pretty uh, significant pivot there I would say that you probably that wasn't even a 180 degree turn that was like just a whole new circle <laughs> it was like you jumped from from one entire career path to another and um what were some of the big challenges that you faced as you went from the engineering world into the consulting world that's that's a really interesting question because you know i can tell you i mean a few things come up you know, I told you about the engineers and the meetings, right? You go into a meeting full of psychologists, it's a completely different experience. Everyone's <laughs> hugging, talking, how you doing? And you don't get anything done. <laughs> you can't get rid of them. <laughs> oh, I got to talk to you about this, you know, issue that I've been having, you know, and not to just psychologists or anything, because obviously I, I am one, but it was, it's just really like, here I am task focused, like, let's get something done, you know, what are we doing? You know? and, and so I really had to learn to manage that and uh, pull uh, best of both worlds. And also what I, I tell other people to do too, is draw on my strengths and develop areas that there are gaps. And one of my strengths uh, is being task focused and being able to manage projects where a lot of people I know who are in this kind of work aren't. It's just, you know, they're, disposition or focus is on the people so they yeah. they don't have that discipline or just that structured approach to things and so I've actually been brought in on several different occasions because I have that and I can lead a team of people to go and, and get things done so that's one thing it was first of all I guess feeling comfortable 
And secondly, learning to handle who I was within these people and how to leverage, you know, some of the best of both worlds. Um, I'm trying to think of other challenges. Well, one of the things I've done is merge the two interests of engineering and psychology. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, looking at how people interact differently in different technologies, different communication technologies. That was what I did my dissertation on. And so maybe one of the challenges there was letting go of my engineering past because in some ways I really never did. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't just drop it and move into being this consultant. Um, and you want to know what's really funny um, is that my first consulting gig with a company after I got, well, actually when I got my first consulting job at PDI, which is Personnel Decisions International, that was a big firm back then in this area. The first organization I went into was the organization I had worked for in my first job as an engineer. Oh, wow. Yeah, this was Tandem Computers. And uh, back in the day when I was working there, it was really one of the major uh, computer companies like Hewlett Packard and, and Sun and, and Apple all were in, in, the, in the Silicon Valley. But uh, when I was going back to consult, it was because they'd just been bought out by Compact Computer. And they were having a lot of issues around, you know, the merger, acquisition yeah. and all that. And they brought in PDI to help deal with those kind of leadership development issues. And it was so strange walking in there in this new way. And I, I was so nervous. I mean, you wouldn't, I mean, like trembling on the inside, like how am I going to walk in and have people understand me as a new entity now? You know, I'm, I'm doing this. And I was just so afraid that people wouldn't accept me. They were amazing though. I mean, they were like, Oh, Joni, it's great to be doing this. You know, and they were, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I, I was just, thinking I would be rejected for not being an engineering and, and more, but they were just so happy to have someone who understood them. Somebody who's familiar. Yeah. And that's why they put me in there. And, and it's funny because I said, I, you know, it's hard to leave engineering, but anyone finds out, well, Oh, you have an engineering background. Let's have you work with engineers because yeah. you get them. And again, I've kind of, that was originally what I wanted to do, but I've learned to leverage that as well and saying, well, you know, we understand each other. I get it when engineers, you know, or in a room, they don't want to have that. Oh, how you doing? How do you, you know, like the psychologists do, they want to have a matter of fact, test focused meeting. And I'm like, okay, let me tell you how we can do that. And also how you can uh, support people on your team and build relationships with people in the organization without being all like touchy feely, gooey, 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 whatever. <laughs> they, they like to wave at each other from across the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that sounds like a really cool shift. And uh, it's interesting to hear about the challenges as you initially went into uh, the consulting realm. Um, your, your consulting business is called Flexible Work Solutions. And one of the things that I know that you've talked about a lot in our conversations prior to this are it, it, you like to, to run assessment centers. Yep. Tell me a little bit about what that looks like. Oh, that's another one. You know, with the engineering sort of background, that was one of the projects I was telling you about, that they pulled me in because I had that structure mm-hmm. and the scientific discipline and all that too. So assessment is you know, how you look at people in terms of what their knowledge, skills, and abilities are and how they can perform their jobs. 
and we use assessment for hiring, for promotion, you know, firing as well, I suppose. But it's it's really about determining where people can fit in which type of jobs. And it's something that I was very well educated on in my program at Berkeley because I happened to work with one of the leading researchers in the area of assessment in, in the country, in the world, probably. And so I got really good at it, even though it wasn't something that I was necessarily aspiring to do, right? I want to work on the communications, but having had that drilled into me for several years, it just it became kind of automatic. And so I find that it's actually one of my favorite things to do now, even though like yeah. I said, it wasn't necessarily what I was trying to do. So what is an assessment center? An assessment center is uh, sort of a name, sort of a weird name, because it's really a, a collection of assessments. And a center doesn't mean it has to be located at a certain place, you know, or something like that, but it, it tends to be a collection of assessments. And they're what we call multi-method, uh, means that you have lots of different types of ways of being assessed. Like you have uh, tests or instruments that you can do, say, online, and you can look at different things like, you know, cognitive skills, you can look at emotional intelligence, and you can look at uh, different uh, work styles, all sorts of different things like that. Um, and then specific competencies in like business, uh, finance, or other technical skills that you might need. And then it usually also includes a collection of observations of people in action. And that's really the fun, the fun part for me. So we bring people in and bring them through all sorts of business simulations, different types of meetings. And... Uh, there you may be different types of meetings, different types of other simulations. Like you might have an inbox, like you're at your computer at work and all of a sudden you have all these emails coming in. How do you respond to them? Uh, you might have uh, a leadership meeting where you have to do a presentation or you have to make decisions with other people or you have to coach somebody to you know, give them some feedback. And so we look at all the different types of skills needed. And these assessment centers are really for leaders, you know, that I'm talking about now in, in that regard for uh, high-level leaders. But I do this work in collaboration with the Rady School of Management at UCSD. That's the assessment center that I run right now. Yeah. I also do them at PDI when I work there. And um, it's it, the reason why you do this is so that, first of all, you can have a really detailed um, explanation or of, of this person's uh, strengths and uh, areas that they could work on. Um, and a full picture, but it's also a way to reduce bias. Okay. So when you have all these multiple ways of assessing people, you don't suffer from just using one method, uh, like one test, which might be developed in a biased way, or an interview, which might be affected by the interviewer. So you have all these different methods, and then you also have multi raters So you have multiple people involved, too. And so you try to eliminate, uh, it, it sort of cancel each other out when you use these different ways. <laughs> And so that's why companies do it. Okay. What kinds of organizations have you worked with so far? In the assessment centers? Yeah. Oh, a complete variety, ranging from, you know, public entities to, um, to high tech, to biotech, pharmaceutical, medical devices, uh, nonprofits. I mean, people, little companies, startups to large organizations. I mean, the people just bring... We have a couple different ways of doing it. One is the open enrollment, where you can have just send one or two people in, and they're mixed in with people from other organizations, or you can do a custom. So a company would uh, bring it, like have 
uh, several people in their leadership team or you know the top level of directors in their organization go through it and then figure out what kind of skills they have and gaps they have as a whole team mm -hmm. uh, and also as individuals what does certain people need to develop to be able to take on like a new department or division or something like that uh, so it really ranges. I, I don't know if I have an answer that we have just one type of organization. And yeah. That's what makes it fun. And the open enrollments are fun too, because you have people who are doctors uh, talking to people who are, you know, finance, uh, you know, controllers of an organization <laughs> dealing with somebody else's with a nonprofit and they're dealing with much different issues. So it, it really depends. Well, it sounds like exciting work and it sounds interesting too. A whole lot of, you know, insight, about different people and you know how they operate how they work together i'm i imagine that for a, a leader that this might be a really good uh, type of tool that you would use in putting together a team um that you yeah the you know where the holes are and maybe where uh, where there's a an overcompensation uh in a team structure i'm sure that that would be very valuable information for them Mm -hmm. It's valuable for the leader and it's also valuable for the people who go through it too, because they get a lot of feedback and, and they can help figure out where they want to use it, where they have energy. And yeah. that's, that's one of my sweet spots. So what I do is, is identifying the themes, you know, within somebody and helping to help them understand that so they can achieve what they want to when they go forward. Very good. We're going to shift gears a little bit now okay. and we're going to talk about something completely different. You're an author and your book has nothing to do with assessment centers or business consulting. It has to do with helicopter parenting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about the book that you wrote and uh, mm -hmm. it was published by Barrett Kohler. Yeah. And um, tell us a little bit about uh, how, how in the world did you get turned on to that subject? Well, you know, it's not as interesting a story as you might think because it was actually at work. Oh, it was okay. working with these executives and these leaders and the complaints that I was having from them. Hmm. They kept coming in. It was so often about, oh, the young people coming in, uh, all the different problems they had. And, you know, you got some stereotyping going on here, but also just some really specific issues around communication was a big one. You know, yeah. people aren't able to communicate that well. They can't have a face-to-face -face meeting because they're so used to, you know, on their phone all the time. They didn't learn those skills. Um, you know, people, they're, they're not resilient. I can't give them feedback. They burst into tears, literally, in, in yeah. a meeting. If you try to tell them that they didn't do something right or um, they quit. You know, I'm having turnover. Uh, I had one leader in an organization tell me he had people in his call center quitting every two months. You know, we had turnover and it was just like, it's unsustainable, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, lots of different issues. And so it was one of those things where I had a young child at the time. And I was noticing as well that parenting had really shifted from yeah. when I was a kid. And I was noticing among the parents around me, as well as the teachers at school. And the kid, my daughter at the time was like preschool and the parents were, you know, asking for homework for their kids. And I was just so shocked. Like, why would a kid in preschool need homework? You know, like, um, they were really working to teach them to read and having tutors come in to get them ready for kindergarten. And I was just like, 
I, I was, you know, and sending them to different camps for soccer, for swimming, whatever lessons, so that they could get involved in the teams early on, so they'd have a good spot. And I was just, you know, really surprised. And, and another aspect was this, you know, protecting. Yeah. So I have one thing that always stands out in my mind, and that we were at literally it was when they were still toddlers, maybe four years old, and they're just beyond toddler. We were at a birthday party and we decided to play uh, musical chairs. Yeah. And so I said, oh, I'll help out. So we gathered a bunch of chairs around and there was a boom box at the time, right? And uh, somebody started playing the music and then they stopped the music and I told the kids, okay, you have to find a chair. So they all found a chair. And then they was, all got up and they went to start the music again. And I went over to pull a chair out and like several moms said, oh, no, no, they're too young for that like really well what's the point of the game right <laughs> you no know? and so then the kids they walked around they sat down again and they turned on the music they walked around they sat down again and they got bored they all just started wandering off they're like this, you know, they didn't understand the game either and i thought wow this is you know and then you get into the hole everyone gets a trophy and yeah. all those kind of things and and i just noticing that the repercussions of that you know the consequences of raising kids in a very protected environment and advocating for them at school and structuring them um, and just putting so much pressure on them to be superstars all the time. Uh, it really created interesting results when they got to the workplace. And kids had this whole different level of expectations when they got to work, which didn't match what people at work uh, were expecting of them. And big clashes going on. So that's what the book is about. It's about, you know, so this mismatch of expectations and um, also, the, the helicopter parenting of uh, realizing that when you take certain actions of, of protecting your kid or going in and talking to the teacher for them, you know, what that uh, teaching the kid to do, and you can decide to do it or not, it doesn't matter to me which, which path you take, uh, or in each certain circumstance too, because every circumstance is different. Yeah. Um, but I think it's good to be informed, you know, of, of what the consequences might be if you continue doing that for kids. So much that later they're going to move back in. I mean, I've seen that but also actually with a lot of the executives I was working oh, with, really? they have their 20 somethings and living with them yeah. and just uh, scratching their heads and not understanding how that could have happened. So um, it was really out of my work and also having a kid and seeing the parenting and then the psychology background doing my research and the topic, you know, to really become expert on it uh, is where that all came from. So for parents who are in that situation where they are very overprotective, they're making decisions for their kids over and over and over again, and not really giving the kids much autonomy. It's like when I was a kid, it's like, go draw a picture and here's a popsicle with red dye number five. <laughs> uh, and that was my upbringing, you know, not to say that I didn't, you know, my mom was really better than that, but <laughs> there was a lot more hands off. I remember eight years old, riding my bicycle out into the fields yeah. and being gone all day long and coming back just covered with dirt you know, probably had ingested some along the way. But what do you think, how, how can a parent that is dealing with that level of anxiety, how can they come to a different place about that? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head because usually it is about anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I also have to give credit to parents because for the most part, parents are doing the best they can with the best of intentions for their kids at all times. I mean, there are very few exceptions to that. Most of us, you know, we're, we really want the best. And we don't realize sometimes we do things that 
you know, the, the, there's always two sides of the coin, right? You know, uh, when you make a decision. And so just having some knowledge, I think, can help. But how to deal with the anxiety? Well, I think there are a couple things. One is to sort of understand where that anxiety is coming from. Mm -hmm. Here's a psychologist to be talking about that. Like, really, you know, and if you can't figure it on your own, you know, maybe talk to somebody who can help you figure that out. And maybe there's something from your upbringing that, that caused this irrational fear of something, you know, because uh, we all have those going on in various places. Um, but there may also be just sort of stepwise uh, approach to it. And that is, you know, you let go a little bit at a time. You don't just suddenly, you know, let your two-year-old roam free no. in the street, right? Because they're going to get, you know, into trouble. They're going to get run over by a car, right? So you might do something small, you know, like let the two-year-old dress himself or herself, you know, and figure out what they show up with, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, let them figure out how to um, put the sweater on, you know, even though it's inside out and backwards and, you know, work with that, those kind of things and figure out when that's possible and, you know, when it's not, like you've got a big uh, wedding to show up at, they have to be dressed properly, you know, maybe yeah. that's not the time to do it, but, you know, you have this happen at all, all different ages, you know, at school, you've got the kids not doing their homework, you know, and in elementary school, it probably doesn't matter if they don't do a homework assignment and get in trouble with the teacher and get a failing grade for that homework assignment, but they'll feel the consequences of it. Yeah. You know, when it's their final exam, their junior year in high school, and, you know, they're applying to colleges, you might want to put a little <laughs> bit more emphasis there, but, you know, figuring out where you can let go a little bit and let them figure it out on their own. And what people often find, I mean, myself included, is that, you know, kids are really capable. Yeah. We think that they're not, but kids can do an enormous amount on their own. I mean, you can even look at other like examples that are just so far out there. You know, I think about, for example, the Lost Boys of Sudan. Do you remember the Lost yeah. Boys of Sudan? I mean, these were kids that, you know, through genocide and all that, the parents were all uh, killed, you know, and there were these young boys who like walked across the country <laughs> and found shelter and, you know, a lot of them, immigrated to the United States and got help. I mean, it's amazing what kids can do when they have to. It didn't, it didn't end up like Lord of the Flies. <laughs> no, no. Well, <laughs> that's probably adults who end up like the Lord of the Flies more than the kids. Yeah. yeah. So the next twist that you took in your, in your life and career happened just a few months ago. Um, and you decided at uh, some point in the last few months that you'd like to do a podcast. Mm. And, yeah, but uh, somebody who uh, kind of put a bug in my ear on that one. <laughs> I don't have any idea who you're talking about. <laughs> okay, so I have to tell your listeners and viewers what, what the story is on that. So this was actually a while ago, um, maybe a year and a half ago, mm -hmm. that uh, I was introduced to you and... I was really trying to figure out how to get my audience, right? And, and uh, that's something that you obviously specialize in. And I just was, yeah, everyone kept telling me, you have to build your social media presence. You have to blog, you have to post, you have to tweet and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know, this is just not doing it for me, you know? And you said, well, what, you know, what do you like to do, Joni? And I said, well, I love to, you know, chat with people, have conversations, sit down for coffee and everything. I said, well, why don't you do that? Have, uh, do a podcast. Mm 
<laughs> and I thought, wow, I, I'd never even thought about that. So it was just sort of serendipitous because shortly after that, uh, I was given an opportunity to host a podcast series within another podcast. This is the Connected Women of Influence, uh, the Women Lead Radio show that I do. And so I, I immediately took that up because of your suggestion and found that, yeah, I love this. I love interviewing people and having these conversations. It's just exactly what I love to do. And so I got some practice and that's been a lot of fun, but I decided it was time to venture out on my own and do one, which is really along the lines of the work that I do with helping technical people communicate better. Yeah. So that's why I launched Reinventing Nerds. Yes. <laughs> Reinventing Nerds. Now, I, I think the first time that I ever saw that title come across was when you were a guest on Steve Olsher's podcast, the Re yes. Reinvention Radio podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, that was the title, <laughs> Reinventing Nerds. And I thought... That's how it happened. It was so <laughs> funny because, you know, he asked, like, well, what do you want your title to be for your episode on Reinvention Radio? And it was, like, suggested, like, Reinventing Blank. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know, reinventing nerds, you know, it just sort of came out, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, he was like, that's a great name. And everybody else was like, that's a fantastic name. And I was like, yeah, it really is. And so <laughs> I said, it's okay for me to take that. And he's like, yeah, and go for it, you know? So that's how it all came up. Yeah. That's really cool. And um, the first nerd that you interviewed was me. Of course. Yeah. Yes. And I'm constantly <laughs> looking for reinvention opportunities. Um, but in any case, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about your vision for that podcast mm -hmm. and the, the type of people that you are looking to reach with it and the type of people that you're looking to have as guests on uh, the show. Um, you've, you've already recorded a several shows. You haven't posted them yet. And at the time this uh, podcast is aired, um, will be right about the same time that you release the podcast to the public. Mm -hmm. So uh, by the time that uh, this is released, people will be able to access it. Could you tell us a little bit about those things? Sure. Yeah. So the podcast is sort of like for and by nerds, I guess you might say. So mm -hmm. um, the idea is to help technical people uh, develop their people strategies. That's kind of what the tagline is. And Technical people, of course, my background is electrical engineering, so I resonate very well with, with uh, engineers and computer scientists, but also they're scientists, um, and I do a lot of work with biotech. I live in San Diego, and the consulting yeah. I do is with a lot of these folks, and we got scientists, doctors, uh, some other people too, professionals in sort of finance. They consider themselves nerds a lot too, you know, the accountants and um, even some lawyers deal with technical stuff, but mostly it's the, the real technical people who've been focusing on, you know, really their expertise all this time. And then they suddenly have to, I mean, maybe not suddenly, but they learn that they have to have those people skills more and more. And that comes up because uh, they are on teams. Mm -hmm. and we have so many team building kind of things and they have to deal with customers sometimes and I think most often that I've been experiencing is that people, then they move up and they have to lead teams of people and they just were never really trained in that. And a lot of people are struggling. And even if they did have some, you know, you go to a class on how to manage your team, it's, it only takes you so far, right? It's kind of like trying to code something and then you get there and you're like, wait a minute, this isn't, you know, <laughs> real life is quite different from the textbook. So, you know, it's, for people who are dealing with those things or just want to improve their people's strategies to build relationships and 
uh, work on teams, um, communicate better. And so who do I have on the show? I have all these technical folks that I just talked about. And occasionally I bring in people experts as well. People who do this kind of thing like I do, you know, who may have an angle on it that I don't want it to only be about the experts. I want people to be nerds talking to nerds. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's a lot more fun and, and people can uh, empathize and understand like, Oh, that's, yeah, I get that struggle versus somebody saying, this is how you do it. You know, again, yeah. it's like the textbook. So occasionally having somebody who might have uh, a specific uh, skill or something like I have a, an expert on um, creativity and working with teams of different types of creative personalities and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, it's reaching the people who are in those situations. Um, they're either leading teams on teams or just thinking about having to develop their people's skills in the future. Yeah. So getting this uh, podcast put together, what's been the steepest part of the learning curve for you? Well, yeah, it's kind of funny. It's the technology. <laughs> I've, had, I've had a lot of experience on podcasting now. I've been a guest on numerous podcasts, mm-hmm. especially promoting my book, Flying Loud Helicopter. But then I hosted the podcast for over a year now with uh, Women League Radio. So maybe you would say that's a steep learning curve because I took, you know, I've been doing that for a while. But uh, suddenly having to then develop uh, expertise in podcasting technology and how to do the behind the scenes and put it all up there and editing and all these things too. It's not necessarily stuff that I've done in, in terms of editing audio files and everything. I, I don't know. It hasn't been that hard, but it's just, one detail after another, uh, trying to get every little thing right, which sort of brings you back to those days, you know, yeah. okay, you know, and then all of a sudden you get that and you're just like, why isn't it working? And there's some setting somewhere that you didn't know about <laughs> that, that is prohibiting this from showing up like that, you know, so that's, it's been getting the nuances down. Very good. If there was one nerd that was the king of all nerds that you could have on your podcast as a guest, who would you choose? Ooh, I'm not going to say that's the person I, I find the most desirable person ever, but uh, one person I really want to talk to right now is Elon Musk. Oh, very cool. Yes, because, I mean, first of all, he has this really interesting approach, you know, and great companies and all this. But secondly, he's had a lot going on in the press lately and some people's strategy issues, you might say, challenges, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of, Uh, how he comes across and um so i think it would be really interesting to hear the struggles he's had going through this as well as obviously we know about his successes but maybe what he's done uh to to overcome some of these challenges and what he's still facing even with his amazing success he's still facing challenges so he's somebody who's on my radar right now (laughs) (laughs) so if any of you know elon musk or someone close to him who could arrange a meeting uh, get in touch with Joni. And speaking of getting in touch with Joni, uh, flexibleworksolutions.com is the website for your business. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell us a little bit about the podcast website. It's brand well, new. The podcast website is reinventingnerds.com. That's where you can find everything out about the, the podcast and some of the different uh, specific programs I have for nerds who want to reinvent themselves and have some of those pe- uh, people skills. But they're all connected up. If you go to Flexible Work, Work Solutions, you'll find Reinventing Nerds. If you go to Reinventing Nerds, you'll find Flexible Work Solutions uh, because that's where I hang out yeah. <laughs> in these places. 
Well, as always, Joni, this has been a fun conversation and um, I'm sure that the people who listen will uh, enjoy it as well. Thank you for being a part of it. And uh, Franklin, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm really excited to see where the podcast takes you. And I'm um, always excited to see what's next for you. It's like, you've always got ideas. <laughs> Any other ideas besides the podcast that are coming up? Well, <laughs> I'm trying to get a group coaching started. I think that would be uh -huh. a nice inexpensive way for people to get together to talk about their challenges. So that's one of the things I'm hoping to get going as a result of the podcast. Is that going to be online or is that going to be in the San Diego area? That'll be virtual. That'll okay. be, yeah, so we can reach nerds all over. But uh, video, like, you're, you know, Zoom is my preferred method right now. Great. So um, if you are someone who's interested in hearing more about that uh, group coaching program, get in touch with Joni at FlexibleWorkSolutions.com. Thank you so much, Joni. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. And take care. Thanks for taking the time to listen to, subscribe, and review the Reset Podcast. The Reset Podcast features interviews, insights, and in-depth reflections that will help you navigate your own fresh start. If you'd like to be a guest or share an idea for a topic you'd like to hear about, please contact podcast at franklintaggart.com. I offer a wide range of services to people who are ready to live with clear direction, new possibilities, greater freedom, and unlimited creativity. If you're looking for a new beginning, I'm available to help you. More information is available at franklintaggart.com. The Reset Podcast is a production of Franklin Taggart and Make Your Own Way Media. All rights reserved. <laughs>